Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and Utah is at it again. You Utahns are taking more than your fair share of bizarre crimes as of late, and we have another one, but this has some great work by investigators. So let's get to it. This is a complicated timeline, so let's just start at the very beginning. Nicholas Alaverdian was born in America, Rhode Island to be exact, on July 11th of 1987. And it's important that you understand where Nicholas is born and when he is born, because that's just one of the many truths that Nicholas tries to alter in his lifetime. His early life was complicated. He claimed his parents were alcoholics and that home life was abusive. Now, In the reverse, his parents claimed he had behavioral and emotional instabilities. His stepfather, David Rossi, said that Nicholas would not listen in school and that he would hit his mother and also his grandmother. He said he was physically abusive to his siblings. When David would attempt to intervene in the aggressive attacks, he said Nicholas would spit at him. Eventually, while still a minor, Nicholas was placed in two different psychiatric units where he was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and attention deficit disorder. Well, after those inpatient care visits, Nicholas tried to return to home and acclimate with the family, but he was eventually removed and placed into the care of Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Now, in Rhode Island, that's basically called foster care, and this wasn't great for Nicholas. He would bounce from shelters at night to youth programs during the days, and all of this happened for nearly 15 months. Nicholas says during that time, he did not receive any schooling, and that the other young people in the programs, well, he says they would steal his belongings and threaten to assault him if he told authorities. Now, despite claiming to experience these things in his preteen and early teen years, which quite honestly could have been debilitating, Nicholas was hired as a legislative page in the Rhode Island House of Representatives, all of this at just the young age of 14. Now, this opened a whole different chapter of unrest in Nicholas's life. He made friends with Representative Brian Coogan, who felt sympathy for Nicholas's life and his previous negative experiences. So Representative Coogan, well, he tried to adopt Nicholas. But during that process... 
the family court judge actually warned Representative Coogan about Nicholas's behavior and told him that Nicholas would try to undermine him and would turn his family upside down. Yikes, you guys, whether it be fair or not, that's a one-star review for Nicholas. Now, Nicholas is 15, and it seems the DCYF is at the end of their rope. They moved Nicholas to Nebraska, where he lives in a youth program there for a few months, and then he's sent to Florida to live in a completely different youth program. After splitting time between those two states for two years, Nicholas is returned to Rhode Island, where he again enters inpatient care at a psychiatric facility. As he nears his 18th birthday, Nicholas transitions to an independent living program, this all in hopes to prepare him to live on his own. In interviews that occur later in his life and also after he files a lawsuit against Rhode Island's DCYF, Nicholas claims he was beaten regularly while he was in Florida and Nebraska. Now, in that lawsuit, administration at DCYF, they say they have no recorded complaints or records of Nicholas being abused in the two alternative programs. But the DCYF did cut ties with Florida's program, this shortly after Nicholas was transferred out of the program. Well, it could be a coincidence, could be cause and effect, we don't know. But in later years, his complaints about the DCYF did spur lawmakers in Rhode Island to craft legislation that tackles the possibly compromised child welfare system. Now, remember the judge that basically sabotaged Nicholas's potential adoption? Well, that judge is named in the lawsuit that I referenced earlier, the one between DCYF and Nicholas. That lawsuit was settled, and details of the settlement were not released. But reading between the lines, it looks like both parties agreed to just go their separate ways. Rhode Island stopped pursuing Nicholas for money that he owed to the state and to DCYF, and DCYF didn't cop to any of the allegations made by Nicholas. And the judge was not held responsible for any of the allegations made by Nicholas as well. Now, Nicholas, he's getting quite familiar with courtrooms because in January of 2008, when Nicholas was in his early 20s, he allegedly met for a lunch date with a college student in Ohio. After the lunch, she says he offered to walk her to class. When they took the stairs, she alleges that he pinned her against the wall, groping her while he pleasured himself. Now, there's way more to that story, but I think you can understand that she believed a verbal and physical assault occurred. She did file a police report, and later that year, he was convicted of that charge. But he tried to get the charge overturned by saying that the victim had made a MySpace post where she said she made up the whole assault experience. Now, a computer forensic team later discovered that the MySpace post had been fabricated. And then a few years later, Nicholas sued the victim for libel, but he lost. He also sued the state of Ohio and the college where the victim attended, claiming he was the victim of serious life-altering false allegations. But that case was also dismissed. Then in 2010, Nicholas was slapped with a domestic abuse charge after he held down a woman in his apartment and caused visible physical harm to the woman's face by repeatedly punching her. Now, during that arrest, 
He basically freaked out in the back of the police cruiser and began hitting his head against the bars. Police pepper sprayed him in order to subdue him, and he pleaded no contest to that charge. And boy, does Nicholas struggle in the romance department. After his first marriage failed, after just a few short months, he met a woman at a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints outing where he claimed he was Mormon. After marrying the woman, she claims he became violent with episodes involving trying to hurt her with a knife. She said he threatened suicide if she left him and that he would also control her appearance and whether or not she was able to leave the house. Well, during this divorce, it was discovered that Nicholas had taken over $50,000 from his second wife and a court ordered him to pay that back as well as spousal support. But, you know, it's Nicholas, so why stop there with two failed marriages and a stack of assault charges? In 2019, Nicholas fled the United States and settled in England. There he met Miranda Knight. He dated her for a short time and married her less than a year later. During this time, Nicholas doesn't talk about his family or his history. But remember, all of it was so life-altering that he sued based upon his childhood and upon his sexual assault charges. Yet, he doesn't speak of it in his new life overseas. Just a few short weeks after marrying Miranda, it gets wild because Nicholas fakes his death. He claims he has cancer and he provides the local media with his obituary. And then he and Miranda move to Scotland. But they tell a priest that Nicholas is moving to Switzerland. And people back in Rhode Island think he's moved to Germany. And then they tell others they are moving to Quebec, Canada. Okay, we now know it truly was Scotland that they ran away to in order to make a whole new life. And now you don't do this unless you're running from something. So what's he running from? Well, the list, it's long. Firstly, Nicholas is being investigated by the FBI. See, his former foster mother alleged that Nicholas opened 22 credit cards in her husband's name, accruing $200,000 in debt. And he allegedly steals from an employer as well. A Canadian businesswoman hired Nicholas Okay, all of this after he faked his death to help her with marketing. After paying him $40,000, she realized he had done zero work for the wages he was provided. Once she fired him, Nicholas reportedly sent her abuse threats and he also posted lies about her online. Okay, remember, he's supposed to be dead. He's not doing a very good job of pretending to be dead. So besides those two fraud charges, Nicholas is also running from sexual assault claims stemming back to 2008 in Utah. I told you I was going to get to Utah. We just had to build the timeline first. Okay, in 2017, Utah was working on a backlog of untested sexual assault kits. That work on the backlog identified the DNA from that kit to a match of the DNA collected from Nicholas during his Ohio sexual assault case. Now, Utah issued a warrant for Nicholas's arrest in 2020. That warrant specified more than the DNA-linked case. It outlined that in 2008, an ex-girlfriend of Nicholas said she was invited to Nicholas's Orem, Utah home. He allegedly told her that he was going to pay her back for the money he had taken from her. 
So, of course, she's going to show up and get her money. Well, when she arrived at the home, he allegedly exposed himself, then raped her, and then told her she was mentally unstable and too emotional. She also claimed he held her against her will and that she could only escape after he was distracted. And there are other cases, mostly along the same thread. Alleged unwanted and inappropriate contact between Nicholas and the victims But then Nicholas threatens to commit suicide if the advances aren't received with agreement. Okay, almost all of the claims end with Nicholas claiming that the victim is actually the aggressor. Now, those other cases occurred in at least three other states, but they were discovered during Utah's investigation. Also during this investigation, people in America are becoming more and more aware that the claims that Nicholas was dead, well, they're just false. And the American authorities began working with the Scottish authorities to arrest Nicholas. Finally, in December of 2021, both investigative arms tracked Nicholas down at Queen University Hospital. He was deathly ill and receiving treatment for a COVID-19 infection. He might be on his deathbed, but his shenanigans are alive and well because he was now going by the name Arthur Knight. And this is just one more contradiction in a long string of contradictions. Now, this hospital arrest is crazy. Nicholas claims they have the wrong guy, but authorities have matched up his tattoos and his fingerprints. And I've seen the pictures. He looks like Nicholas, but he doesn't let go of the idea that he is now embroiled in a case of mistaken identity. He even claims that while he was in the coma suffering from COVID, that investigators tattooed matching art onto his body that matches the art on Nicholas's body. But while weaving that tell, he tries to leave the hospital early, even scheduling a taxi service and his own oxygen accommodations. All right. We know that intercontinental arrests are complicated. Just look how long it took to get Joran Vandersloot to America, and they didn't even get him to America for the murder of Natalie Holloway. They got him to the U.S. on blackmail charges. So, understandably, these arrests are full of red tape. But you've got to give it up to the Utah prosecutor for doggedly following through on these rape charges. Over the next year, Nicholas appears in court hearings via video from his home in Scotland. He claims he's not well. He's frequently in a wheelchair and he wears an oxygen mask during the proceedings. All of this, despite some doctors saying that they have no concerns with his current health. And the other weird thing, in these hearings, he pretends to be different people. Sometimes he speaks with a Scottish accent and he calls himself Arthur Knight. In other hearings, he speaks like an American, and then sometimes he pulls out a British accent. He even told his wife's family in England that his name was Nicholas Brown. In the hospital, he told some workers that his name was Arthur Winston Brown, and then other civilians in Scotland know him as Nicholas Rossi. And he doesn't always show up for his hearings either. Sometimes he goes to the hospital late on the night before a scheduled hearing just so that he can claim his health is preventing him from appearing. Now, a man named Paul Harvey, who works as an advocate with the justice system in Scotland, told the courts that there was an emerging picture that Nicholas was seeking by every means possible to delay his court proceedings. 
Also, during all of these hearings in Scotland, additional charges are leveled against Nicholas for abusing hospital staff in his numerous visits. And then it was announced that Nicholas was under investigation for an alleged rape that happened in England. Okay, all of those charges, they're still up in the air. But Utah prosecutors got their way. 36-year-old Nicholas was finally extradited after he lost his last-ditch effort appeal in Scotland late last year. So exactly when he was transported to Utah isn't clear, but it was recent. So what's the latest? Last week, during a court hearing, Nicholas appeared via video conference from the Utah County Jail. In that video, Nicholas' face is partially hidden under an oxygen mask, and his voice is barely audible. When the judge asked him, are you Mr. Rousey? He mumbled a different name in a British accent. When the judge asked for clarification, he stated that his name was Arthur Knight Brown, and he gave his birth date as one year different from the court records that reflect his date of birth in Rhode Island. Then the prosecutor informed the judge that Mr. Rossi had not admitted his name or birth date accurately. Nicholas interjected and said, objection, my lady, that is complete hearsay. Okay, you guys, if I had a killer British accent, I would have pulled it out there, but I don't. So just imagine Nicholas saying it in his British accent. Now, Nicholas appeared at that Utah hearing without representation, which led the judge to just move on past this hearing and schedule another court appearance for Friday. So that's tomorrow. He currently has not been given the option for bail, which checks out since he fled to Europe several years ago and he allegedly faked his death. If he is found guilty of the rape, he could face anywhere from five years to life in prison. And of course, when I know, you'll know. I'll keep you updated. I'm sure Friday's hearing will be full of fireworks. All right, imagine this. You buy a home. All right, I know it's impossible with today's interest rates, but work with me. You buy a home. You show up on the move-in day, and you learn that the previous owners moved out that morning. But the house is just kind of a wreck. The previous homeowners leave behind garbage and belongings like an igloo cooler and outdoor pottery and a chest freezer. Just lots of random stuff. So you hire some cleaners to help with the cleanup. And then you post some of the usable stuff on Facebook Marketplace. If the previous owners are just going to leave you a mess, you might as well recoup some of the losses due to paying for professional cleaning by getting some money on Facebook Marketplace. Then an interested buyer of the chest freezer shows up. As they are checking out the freezer, they open the door and they discover what looks to be a human head and human hands. It happened, you guys. This is real. It happened in Grand Junction, Colorado. And the pictures of the home do show a mess. Lots of weeds. Outside pottery with dead plants is everywhere. What looks to be abandoned leftover camping gear is at the side of the house. I would imagine the inside matches the outside. I did some digging on Zillow and I found the home. There's no interior pics, but the exterior picture of the home is three times as bad as the one taken when police were searching the home following the discovery of the head and hands. 
And the whole Zillow posting, there's an interesting side note. The HOA is listed at $6 a month. I'm not sure what that six bucks is paying for, but there you have it. And the notes on the property say it's a two-car garage. I don't think two smart cars are fitting in this single-car garage. Now, the police department did release in a statement to People Magazine that the remains were positively identified as human and that they were discovered on January 12th. They then promptly said, they would have nothing further to say about the case until more tests could be done on the remains. You guys, I totally respect that. They have their work cut out for them. But Sam Troster, he's a neighbor to the house on Pinion Avenue. Well, he told KUSA that when the people dropped by the house to look at the freezer, they retreated and they came to Sam's home asking to use his bathroom. He told the NBC affiliate that he cautiously let them in his home but not before asking what was going on. The potential freezer buyers said that when they opened the freezer to check it out before transporting it, that a human head fell out. And that's when they needed to wash their hands. Now, despite saying they wouldn't be discussing the case until more results were established, the sheriff's office is asking for the public's help in the matter. So, if you know anything about the head and hands in the freezer on Pinion Avenue in Grand Junction, Colorado, you can call Candace at the Sheriff's Office at 970-244-3266. And maybe a warning, be careful what you buy on Facebook Marketplace. All right, let's finish out with this story. And look, you guys, I'm a mug girl. I drink loads of water. And cliches it might be, I believe in it. So I have a mug with 40 ounces of water every morning as I'm getting ready. And then I drink about maybe another 50 ounces during the day. So I'm the woman that actually drinks the liquid in my mug. But I also think there are so many great mugs that keep my liquid ice cold. It doesn't have to be a Stanley mug. But I do absolutely love the outrageous Stanley mug TikToks and Reels. Anytime something becomes so overboard like the Stanley mug obsession, have at it, you guys. Laugh away. Make your creative content. I think it's fantastic. It's a great thing. However, some of these women are darn near certifiable with their mug love. There was the story in early January from a Target store that put out the limited edition Valentine Stanley mugs. Well, it's part of their Galentine's collection. Shoppers were grabbing as many mugs as they could stuff in their arms. It was like the old school Black Friday days of shopping. And then those cups were going for $120 or more on eBay the very next day. And people were probably paying that amount, I'm sure. I have no doubt the mugs were sold. So then the mug craze resulted in knockoff mugs, counterfeit Stanleys, Um, Police actually issued a warning in California about this, which had me thinking, California, don't we have some bigger problems to solve? And then it morphed into mean girls mocking other girls who have something like the $18 mug from Walmart that looks almost identical to the Stanley. But it isn't a Stanley. So, of course, we have to bully because that's the world we live in now. Well, all of these stories were just a run-up to what happened in Roseville, California last week. A 23-year-old woman walked into a Sacramento retail store, grabbed a cart, and went straight to the mug aisle. 
she loaded that cart with those what some would call overrated mugs and she just marched right out the store even though employees were yelling at her to stop you guys do you have any guesses on how many mugs she walked out with in that cart 65 stanley mugs of varying sizes and colors well the employees called the cops And those cops were armed with a full description of the suspect's vehicle and of the suspect herself. An officer spotted the suspect's vehicle just minutes later as it merged onto Highway 65. He flipped on his lights and performed the traffic stop. But here is where it gets so good. Law enforcement laid those 65 Stanley mugs out on the hood of the Ford SUV police cruiser and took pictures like they had just busted Sacramento's biggest drug ring. And then they posted it on Facebook. Towards the end of the post, the Roseville Police Department wrote that they understand that Stanley quenchers are all the rage, but that they advise against turning to crime to fulfill your hydration habits. And then they promised that the Roseville Police Department will remain committed to stopping retail theft. Now, This isn't the true crime aspect of the story, but I just want to point out that whomever decided to rebrand the 111-year-old company and start marketing Stanley's to women, well done. Since the company employed the strategy of flirting with a new customer base and using trusted influencers on social media platforms, their annual sales have jumped from $75 to 750 million. And that was just last year's numbers. Clearly, the trend is not over in 2024. All right, what's up with the 23-year-old alleged thief who stole over $25,000 in mugs? Well, she could be charged with grand theft since the amount stolen exceeded $950. Those are the rules in California. And grand theft is punishable by fines and up to one year in jail or state prison. Most of the penalty is just going to be determined by this suspect's previous offenses. Well, that's your Thursday episode of Rise in Crime. Thanks for all the support on the various platforms. I love when you guys send me case suggestions. The Utah case today was actually a case suggestion. Thank you so much. If you like what you're hearing, please give Rise in Crime a thumbs up or a like, or even better, subscribe and download. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.